We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to BuzzBeat Radio, your premier Charlotte Hornets show. All right, welcome in episode 65, Memorial Day episode here. So happy Memorial Day uh, to everyone out there. Appreciate all the listeners. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller podcast network. Um, the home of the podcast, queencityhoops.com. Make sure you check out Queen City Hoops for all your draft coverage uh, this time of year and follow on Twitter at QCH blog. And then our good friends at Sports Channel 8, that's sportschannel8.com, at Sports Channel, the number eight on Twitter. Um, they continue their Saturday morning uh, radio shows, which seem to be going better and better. Uh, it's 10 a.m. to noon. Um, on 99.9, the fan in the triangle area, uh, BG, did you sit out this week? Cause you were gone, right? Yeah, no, no radio show for me this weekend. Uh, I was, uh, with some buddies up in Boston on a trip. I may have even had planned out even before we got the, the radio show was, was announced to us. So luckily with fortunate light, it's a, I mean, it's a group, it's a group project in there. So, um, you know, one one or two people can miss a show, and it doesn't feel like it really misses a beat. You know, so I didn't. I did sit out this week, though. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, hopefully, we'll um, you can represent us as as the draft approaches, and I, I'm sure mm-hmm. we'll get some draft talk on mm-hmm. that show. So make sure you guys are checking that out again. 10 a.m. to noon Saturdays, 99.9, the fan, and then BG, I, I'm, you can pull it up online easily, right? Yeah, no doubt. WRALsportsfan.com. WRALsportsfan.com. Um, there's a best of podcast that gets put up with the whole show. And there's a little streaming tab in the top right corner of the screen that makes everything all too easy to uh, to get it from wherever. Awesome. All right. Well, good stuff over there, Sports Channel 8. Make sure you check those guys out. Um, <clears throat> okay. Real quickly, uh, I want to address one thing. Uh, if you follow us on Twitter, you already know this. If you missed it, I'm not sure how. Um, Richie kind of addressed this last week that we're going to be going through a transition here on the show. Uh, for the next few months, um, Richie is going to slowly phase out um, uh, of, a, of the, really the third head here, um, the trio at, at BuzzBeat. 
Uh, but he is going to help us during this transition. He's he's the brains behind how all this works. Uh, he produces these shows. He edits them. He gets them out. So really, everything we do is made possible from Richie's hard work. But you know, he's got uh, he's got some things in life coming up. Got a got a baby coming, and uh, you know, priorities take over. So uh, as I've already said before, and I, and I always speak for Brian too. He shared this. You know, we're extremely thankful for what Richie's done. He's always going to be a part of the Busby family. Obviously, he's going to come on the show more often uh, than he realizes when he, when he <laughs> fades off. I haven't, I haven't told him that yet. So he's, he's hearing that for the first time now too, but, um, but he is going to help us again you know, to make this transition for the next few months. Cause Brian and I got stuff to learn. Like I, yeah, I, I might sound okay in a podcast, but I have no freaking idea how to edit and <laughs> get it out to all the, the loyal listeners. Again, that's all Richie. So just want to make everybody aware of that. If you get a chance, give, give Richie a shout out on Twitter, because like I said, he, he is, he is, making this possible uh, as we speak he's helping us today and he's made it possible uh, leading up to this moment so through 65 episodes hard to believe but it's been a blast um we're forever grateful for what richie's done um all right with that said bg do you want to add anything there or should we jump in uh i i agree with everything you said richie is is uh his value is just ridiculous it's off the charts i wouldn't be doing this podcast in general um, if, if not for you and Richie extending me the invitation, I'm super grateful and thankful for that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know quite know what we're going to do without, without Richie, but, um, we'll figure something, we'll, we'll figure something out. And gl- again, glad to always have him a part of the, the family on here and the, the friendship and just, you know, the three of us getting to, you know, shoot the shit, hang out, you know, text each other, funny stuff too. So no, it's been it's been, it's been the it's been the start of a cool friendship, but uh, he'll obviously be greatly missed uh, on this podcast too. No doubt, no doubt. Well said. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so today we're going to cover a few things. Um, housekeeping notes: the Hornets have added some uh, some some assistant coaches to the staff in the past week. Actually, added one just a few hours ago. It was announced uh, by Woj um, that we'll talk about. Um, we're going to jump into some draft prospects. I think we're going to try to focus on. Colin Sexton, Kevin Knox. We had a few Twitter questions about Kevin Knox, so we'll get into him. Um, and then Michael Bridges as well. Um, so we'll really focus on those three prospects, probably touch on some more here or there. Um, and then at the end, I think BG are just going to have a little fun segment, him and I, and, and talk about our, our playoff reactions. LeBron, you just can't kill him. You can't kill him. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable what this guy does, how ugly that game was made last night, but that was the only way Cleveland was going to win, and they figured it out. Uh, and then I think we maybe have a few other Twitter questions we're going to get to. So that's kind of the lineup with that said, um, three new coaches, uh, for the Hornets on James Borrego staff, Jay Hernandez, Jay Triano, Triano, you'll recognize as most recently the interim head coach, uh, for the Phoenix suns. Um, and then today, Ronald Norid, I think I'm saying that last name correctly. Ronald played for Brad Stevens at Butler. Um, finished in 2012, has bounced around the G League since then, uh, but was given his first um, NBA opportunity by his old coach at Butler, Brad Stevens, uh, when he was the main Red Claws uh, head coach from 13-14. So um, let's just stay there, BG. Start with Ronald Norton. Uh I guess when I saw this earlier, I did a little bit of research, and I, I think I actually briefly remember him at Butler. Good player, defensive-minded guy. Mm-hmm. Um you know, obviously this is exciting because Ronald's super young, um, you know, finished school in 2012, 
And he's not even 30 years old yet. And not only that, but he comes from the Brad Stevens coaching tree, which is very, very exciting. Um, thoughts on Norwich here? Yeah, I think I'm getting to that age now where I can feel old when I see guys that I remember watching in college at the same time that I was in college are getting NBA coaching jobs now. But yeah, I definitely remember those Butler teams that Norad better remembered for Gordon Hayward and, and Matt Howard and Sheldon Mack and Avery Jukes, but NORAD was a rotation guy for four years, including on two teams that went to the NCAA title games uh, in 2010 when they lost to Duke in 2011, when they lost to Kemba Walker and UConn. So that is funny. You know, if Kemba's still in Charlotte next season, but the basketball is a small universe and he'll be uh, one of his coaches will be a guy that he played against uh, in his last college game. Sort of interesting, but I like like a young hire again. You know, coming off the 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 Brad Stevens coaching tree is great, and it's just cool to see that. Obviously, a guy like Jay Chirano's brought in, guy that has a ton of experience in the NBA, and we can talk a little bit more about why that matters. But I like the staff being younger. Um, I like the staff having t- a guy like Nord having ties to the G League. I think that's important, and I just think new ideas in player development. When I think of young coach with G league experience, especially somebody that's from the, the Brad Stevens school of basketball. No doubt. That seems to be the common denominator uh, of all these hires on Borrego staff is player development, player development, player development. You know, obviously Triano um, has been known for that throughout his career. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really what Phoenix liked about him most. Um, and then Jay Hernandez, you know, we'll talk about him more in a minute, but uh, another guy who's, who's, I mean, that's literally what he does. He's, yeah. he's really been Orlando's player development um, wizard. And Kimba's working out with him, it uh, looks like, this summer. I don't know if that's something that's happened in the past. Uh, during the summer, I, I, I couldn't find anything that suggested it. But, uh, but yeah, if you go to Jay Hernandez's Instagram page, um, he posted a workout. It's a pretty good video, uh, about a six-minute workout he did with Kimba Walker um, You know, here recently. So... That's interesting, I think, you know, to mm-hmm. consider, okay, well, Kimba, there's a big you know, the elephant in the room here with the Hornets and, and the guy that the Charlotte's bringing on staff seems like Kimba really, really high and, um, is going to lean on him for his own player development here moving forward. So, you know, it's, it's an interesting trio, um, a lot of youth with Hernandez and Nord, but then also, you know, Triano, um, a lot of experience. And do I remember this correctly, BG? I don't know if you know this. Triano was a head coach in Toronto, right? Yeah, for three seasons. Like, was this season in Phoenix was the second time he was an interim coach. He was an interim coach with Toronto, and then he was the head guy there for, I believe, three seasons. So, yeah, he has probably 240. So, in that in that span of time in Toronto, over 200 games of coaching experience there, has a head coach prior to this year in Phoenix. Never made the playoffs. The best team he had there was 2009, 2010. So the year before Bosch left, they had a top five offense and went 40 and 42, um, had a nice second half of the season, but dead last in defense. And then Bosch left that summer. Triano coached the team for one more year until he was let go in 2011. And they hired Dwayne Casey of all people who, as we know, was just let go, um, a few weeks ago. So yeah, Triano does have um, some head coaching experience in, in the Eastern conference. Um, so you kind of see the, the balance in this coaching staff, you know, Borrego 
you know, obviously a lot of experience, a younger guy, but a lot of experience in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Triano, you know, very similar, older, obviously, than uh, than Borrego and guys like Hernandez and Nord. So there's a, you know, I mean, Nord, for example, getting his first real opportunity here. And Hernandez, you know, he's only had one stop, super young, but only been mm-hmm. in Orlando. So you see the, the balance and you, it's very clear where the player development emphasis is, you know, with Hernandez mm-hmm. and Nord. And, and I think it's exciting if you're going for the player development thing, if you're trying to get younger, um, if you're trying to really deep, dig in deep uh, to your G League, uh, I think that guys like Nord and Hernandez are very interesting hires. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to imagine they won't be able to relate closely with the players um, just because of the you know synonymous ages there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, I think they're going to be able to really help these guys, younger players, um, develop from day one. You know, the communication line should be pretty easy, I hope and think. And that, that seems to... You know, guessing a little bit here, but I think that's the thought process with these hires. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Triana makes a lot of sense within the context of how it relates to Borrego, which is you have Borrego's, what, 40 years old. Um, this is his first head coaching opportunity outside of his interim stint with Orlando three seasons ago. And so you get a guy that's been uh, an assistant for almost you know a dozen years in the NBA that's been in Toronto and Portland and Phoenix, you know, all over the league. And you let him be the number the top assistant. And I think it's good to have a little bit of a veteran presence on the bench. It, it seems like te- that teams value that. Yeah. And, um, and so that made a lot, it made, that made plenty of sense for Charlotte to target him as the, you know, as the top assistant and a couple look, the don't judge around off anything that happened in Phoenix this year. That was, more of like a laboratory experiment than it was a functioning basketball team, but some cool, some cool moments with Triano this year. Right. Uh, do you guys remember the, or Spencer, do you remember the game winning play the Phoenix suns had against the Memphis Grizzlies back in December? Have you, have you heard or seen any of this story? I could be wrong. Is that the, was that the back screen play? No, I think it's, I mean, technically it is basically, the in a game that no one cared about, Suns Grizzlies. These are the two worst teams. <clears throat> Triano drew up this play that he apparently had been sitting on for 15 years. He read in the rule book that on a like a sidelines on like a sideline out of bounds play, you obviously you can't take the ball and throw it into the goal. But there's no offensive goaltending rule on plays like that. So he had Dragon Bender just throw the ball right at the rim. And as the ball is above the rim, Tyson Chandler just comes up and dunks it. There's six tenths of a second left, so they can't even really get off a shot. Game's <laughs> tied at 97. And with the ball right above the cylinder, an offensive goaltending play, Tyson Chandler just runs up, jumps, and dunks it. I think it's amazing that Triano was sitting on that play call for 15, <laughs> 15 NBA seasons. But that was a cool moment in, in, a, in a— I mean, who would know that rule? You know? Exactly, like, yeah. exactly, exactly. So— <laughs> Um, that was a cool moment season for two teams that were, were pretty, were clearly in the tank. Um, well, Phoenix, and maybe you, you can elaborate on this BG, but Phoenix was at the beginning of the season. I mean, the effort level for everybody at the beginning of the season is pretty, you know, pretty good. And they were just obviously last, like in, in interest level. And 
uh, Watson had obviously lost their ears and tri- when they, when Triano came in and you might have these stats right in front of you, I want to say for the first month he was in there, they were playing around 500 basketball. They were obviously mm-hmm. playing a lot harder. I mean, he did at one point get a lot more out of that team yeah. than, than Watson was getting. It probably didn't probably helped a little bit that they moved Eric Bledsoe around too. And they just, all of a sudden, like the team, it was already Devin Booker's, but you get that one sort of alpha dog presence out of the room. And then you change the coaching staff up and those two things happen right around the same time. And that probably helped the case a little bit too. And for whatever it's worth, I've got some, I don't have any record record numbers in front of me, but I've got something Devin Booker said about Triano. Um, this is a quote. I love everything Jay has done since day one that he's been here. He's kept the same mindset on getting everybody better. It's not an easy position with the young team. We have the basketball experience we have is not up to par. We have tried a lot of, uh, a lot of guys that are still learning the basics end quote. So, I mean, Booker had a nice season, uh, Phoenix and a lot of, most of that came, uh, with his third coach in three years in Triana, but it was also the best basketball he's played of his life. So I thought, you know, again, like you said, he sort of tended to get the most out of those Suns teams, but they were just so um, undermanned on most nights in terms of, you know, talent and experience on the court. Right. Yeah. No question about that. Uh, um, but look, I, I think it's hard to really not like what <clears throat> is going on with how Borrego has, is filling out his staff. I think Triano is obviously, you know, the one the one big win, you know, Hernandez and Nord, I think you look at those and you say, yeah, are they ready? That's debatable. That's fine. But when you're taking a player development emphasis again, you know, I think those are the kind of guys that deserve an opportunity and a chance. And you want to develop players, you got to be able to communicate with them. And that, that seemed to be a little bit of an issue with, with Clifford staff, I would say Mm -hmm. um, from time to time. Anything else on these coaches, BG? That's about all I had really. Yeah. Just real quickly. One other cool little note on Triano He's has a friendship of going back over 20 years with Steve Nash. Like he, Triano used to coach at a school in Canada and recruited Steve Nash. And is sort of one of the guys that gets credit for telling, convincing Nash that he should play college ball in, in America. And those guys are still, they work since 2012. Now they Nash has been the general manager of the Canadian uh, national basketball program in Triano is in his second stint running the national program up there, which is kind of cool. One other thing to two other quick notes on Hernandez. He also had some interest from the Knicks right after David Fisdale was hired uh, to possibly be an assistant coach with them. But obviously he ended up in, in Charlotte. He worked in Orlando with uh, James Borrego uh, from, I guess, 2014 to 2015. And one other thing, according to real GM Hernandez, Hernandez established and collaborated with various departments in Orlando to implement a return from injury protocol that incorporated analytics with on-court simulation. I don't know quite exactly what that means, but um, <laughs> it certainly seems to be uh, something yeah. it's forward thinking and and dynamic in nature. And again, I, I'm, I don't know if it'll work out, but I'm here for, for trying new things with the Hornets. No, no doubt about that. Yep. Anything outside of the box and a different approach and any small advantage, you know, this team that has a capped out roster, any small advantage they can gain on the margins means mm-hmm. it is huge. So that's a great point and a good mm-hmm. find. BG, I didn't know that. Um, 
So real quickly, the Hornets had their first draft workout. I, I don't want to spend much time on this. Um, I think the two guys, and this was last week, um, May 25th. So it was late last week. Connor Birchfield uh, led the nation in three-point percentage at William & Mary. And then John Davis, <coughs> uh, guard at, at Charlotte. Uh, so a local kid, uh, two good players. Um, the rest... I'm not even going to run through the names unless BG you want to, but I mean, I think that these are summer league possibilities, um, late second round, you know, the Hornets pick 55th in the second round. As of now, that's the only pick they have in that round. So, you know, possibly a guy like Birchfield, if you really want to reach, but I, I doubt either one of these guys would get drafted. And yeah, like I said, G league possibilities, summer league team, um, but not much more than that. I, I would imagine. Yeah. I don't, I, in, I mean, who knows that the Hornets will even end up, keeping that pick and using it on a player. So, um, and I mean, just, you have no clue who it'll be around with five picks left in the draft. So yeah, no, not exactly a star studded opening workout for the Hornets, but obviously that'll start to ramp up pretty seriously in the next, uh, next three to four weeks here. Speaking of the second round, um, I did my mock draft 2.0, which dropped on queen city hoops last week. Uh, go check that out. Um, self promo o'clock. Um, but I talked about an idea that, so the Sixers have four second round draft picks and mm-hmm. th- I mean, they can't use all their draft picks because roster rules, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, unless, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. unless they draft four guys that are, are going to be European draft and stash mm-hmm. players, which is not happening either. It's just not possible. So they're going to have to trade picks. They have 38, hold on, crap. I should have. I'll pull it up. I think they have 38 and 39. Yes. 38, okay. 39 back to back. So I threw out this idea on my piece last week that, you know, I think it's important for the Hornets to consider building this roster out uh, with some second round draft picks for financial reasons since mm-hmm. they really, you know, and I'm saying like the Hornets literally might not be active in free agency at all. Like they might mm-hmm. go get a better point guard, but that might be it if they even do that. But if they could find a way to get, like in this example with the Sixers, 38 and 39, or one of those picks, or maybe even 26 from Philly. They also have a late first round draft pick. Um, you know, get creative in that way where they can fill the roster out, you know, with numerous draft picks in a second round at a very low cap number uh, because mm-hmm. there is no scale for second round picks. Um, I think they should look at a way to do that. And, and the, the trade that I threw out was with the Hornets call Philly, say, Hey, what do you think about Michael Kidd Gilchrist? Seems like he can mm-hmm. fit pretty well into what you guys are trying to do. Um, you could downsize when you can't get away with having maybe Embiid on the floor. I mean, if he's not able to stay healthy, but I think it gives you a playoff defensive dynamic that could be super important. Okay. So take that $13 million. It's pretty good players. Only 24 years old. Still give us 38 and 39 and what, or or if you'd rather give us uh, 26, <laughs> we'll take yeah. that. And then, um, and I'll tell you what, we'll take the contract of um, Jared Bayless from you, which is nine ish million dollars next year. Yeah. Thoughts on that BG. Would you do that trade? Ooh. Uh, y- you know what? It, I feel a lot better about it if it, if it were the 26 pick. Um, no, duh. It seems highly unlikely. They, yeah. As you said in the piece, wishful thinking. Um, no, I, I don't think that's a bad idea, especially because you can, you know, you, it would be tough to see MKG go somewhere else, maybe and, and blossom into an even better player, but they got to make a move at some point this summer. We already know that. 
And if you can still get some sort of value out of MKG, and if it's two top 40 picks, that's really not, that's really not, not so, not so bad of a, of a, of a return, especially if you're gonna be able to, you know, shed a little bit of salary and maybe you can figure, Hey, we can still try to talk Trevi and Graham into coming back or, or whatever. And he could be the, the, the rotation wing replacement for, for MKG. I like the thought of just take having more, more cranks at the slot machine too, in terms of finding players. And I think you, I think the three of us, I think we all, we like a bunch of guys that could be available at 38 and 39 um, and have some upside. And like you said, super importantly, there's no rookie scale in the second round. Um, Correct. So yeah, my thought really was, and then (laughs) Richie's text, I'll I'll get to that in a second. Yeah. (laughs) Um, uh, My thought is that Bayless, like, I don't think Bayless is done. He's battled some injury problems, but Hey, there's a backup point guard for you. Right. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, you're going to save $4 million somewhere around there by getting off MKG, taking on Bayless. But really that's just what you're saving year one. MKG is 13 for the following season, 1920 Bayless falls off after next year. So you're creating yeah. some future flexibility. Yeah. And then with 38 and 39, you're actually even saving more money because by, by, you know, being able to use those draft picks on some promising young players to your point BG, get more youth into the pipeline and mm-hmm. do it at the cheapest possible rate. Like that. Yeah. I know some people are going crazy on this idea because they're like, MKG for a second round, you know, numerous second round draft picks. Are you freaking kidding me? Hey, to break but, it, that, that might be that, that, like, that's just the market rate, you know, exactly. he's not getting, you're not getting a first round pick for him. I mean, you know, you yeah. could maybe talk Philly into 26. That's, I mean, honestly, it's effectively a second round pick, but, um, anyways, I, I just wanted your thoughts on that idea, BG. Cause I, as I'm doing my piece, I just thought it made some sense for sure. No, I think it makes it, some sense for both sides. I think Philly, Philly, because of their picks and, cap space and they're sort of contend now, but also, Hey, we're looking, we're looking five to six years down the road too. They've been an interesting trade partner possibility with Charlotte for a while now. I think even going back to when you reaching a, a possible trade destinations with Kemba probably a month or so before the deadline, we, we you, you cooked one up with Philadelphia too. They, they make on paper, they, they can make a lot of sense. The thought of Ben Simmons and MKG playing together is awesome in the open court. It's probably terrifying and unplayable in the half court. Uh, but you, you know, you could kind of see him being, I mean, they, they had some issues with this with Boston where Sarge, Dario Sarge is an awesome player and not a bad defender, but MKG could, you could, you could sell this as, Hey, he's your late game. This guy can guard one through four for you. Um, and if you feel like you need some defense out there, this guy gives him some pretty serious versatility. He also might just be revived playing in a, in a, in a different city and certainly one that's really close to where he grew up. Yeah. So, um, I and think, I think it just gives Philly, like, like, I think your point about the Simmons, him and Simmons on the floor together. I don't know if that works, but like, guess what? It just, it adds serious wing depth. Um, and a versatile defender to mm-hmm. a, a team that is going to be a perennial contender for the next, I mean, who knows how long, I mean, a long time here. And yeah. when you get to the playoffs, if you're dealing with injury, like there's just one more guy who, I mean, just if you're watching the playoffs this year, you understand the, I mean, look at golden state, look at all these wing defenders. Yeah. They're making a huge difference just with their defense. And mm-hmm. MKG could absolutely be that if he just has the opportunity 
to be in that moment. So, you know, I, I think that's how you sell it. Um, totally. Cause they had issues with Bellinelli's defense with Reddick being too small, like the Boston beat up their wings by posting those guys up, you know, and yeah. can't really do that against uh, kid Gilchrist. Right. And Philly is a team who, you know, if they go and bring Reddick back and, you know, they made a trade for MKG, like mm-hmm. it's fine. I think they're over the cap at that point, but do they, do they even want to operate as an under the cap team? I don't think so. I think they would want to dig into their exceptions because that's the mm-hmm. only way they would be able to bring back a guy like Bellinelli mm-hmm. or, or find some bargain shooter on the market anyway. So we're deep in the weeds now, but <clears throat> an idea for Charlotte. And guess what? Yeah. If they say no, but that's what, starts the conversation for, Hey, but, uh, what about that guy, uh, Kimba Walker? Yeah. What's it going to take to get him? Right. Like if that's yeah. what it takes to get the conversation started. Then mm-hmm. that's, that's great too. Maybe. What's good y'all. This is your boy, Justin, AKA just blaze host of above the rim. And if you want a raw take on the NBA above the rim is a show for you with dope beats and entertaining guests each week. We offer a great new insight on all things NBA. You don't want to miss it. Find it on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and the Almighty Baller Network. All right, let's let's talk some draft prospects in here. Who do you want to start with, BG? Should we should we start with Kevin Knox? Sure. All, All right, Laura, open this one up. Yeah, so Kevin Knox is a guy that we we talked about a, for the first time a while back. I, I think it was maybe in the middle of March. Tournament was either just getting started or, or was, um, was right around the opening weekend in the NCAA tournament. But Knox is intriguing. Um, I think for the, for the certain fact that he, if he could, if he becomes the best version of himself, there's absolutely a place for him in the NBA, right? As a long combo four that can float between the three and four and could potentially be a three point shooter and a guy that scores, 15 to 18 points a game or, or whatever. He's super young. I think he's the youngest player, second youngest player in this draft class behind uh, triple J at Michigan state, six foot nine. Um, not, not ready to out muscle anybody yet off, certainly off the dribble takes sort of some bad shots off the dribble. But as we've discussed in reference to Knox before and Gildas Alexander, Kentucky's offense, not exactly the most dynamic, um, you know, the dynamic and fun to watch bunch in college basketball this season. So mostly a spot up player numbers were decent there. I think he, he's an, I think he projects as an interesting offensive player. Um, but I've still got a lot of question marks with Knox. What do you think? What are your initial thoughts about, uh, Knox? So I actually was watching a good amount of film on Knox yesterday morning. It's some time to kill. And, um, I noticed some things, you know, offensively, and we've talked about this before too, but like he sprints from baseline to baseline, mm-hmm. like really good athlete. Um, it's, the, and he has quick feet too. Like when you watch him with on the ball defense, it's pretty good. I mean, he mm-hmm. can keep, he can keep dynamic ball handlers in front. He, he chops his feet well, but the lateral movement and having to guard off the ball and chase, you know, chase guys around floppy action and screens. Yeah. Like that's where he, he dies on screens mm-hmm. <laughs> like almost every time, um, which is super bothersome. But anyways, what I noticed just watching him as an athlete, BG, and I might be crazy 
to throw out the, it's not really a comparison. I just like, see some similarities in the two. And I think Knox with as young as he is, maybe could become this, but like Otto Porter type of guy. Yeah. I think he's, I think in terms of like comparisons, Porter makes sense. Uh, I think Tobias Harris and Rudy Gay, maybe Kyle Kuzma make a little bit of sense too, but Porter is the one. And guess what? Otto Porter's a, a really good player. Um, just because of his like, Right. Just because of his shooting, you know, acumen, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's really it. And he he wasn't that good at Kentucky. I mean, he was 34%, but you know, to your point, um, he took a lot of bad shots and he he was their offense, you know? Uh, and yeah, he was the guy who took the shot and then it was like, all right, we're going to pray that PJ Washington gets an offensive rebound. Yeah. We get another crack. this thing. (laughs) Right. Right. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just see, I see the potential to become something like Porter, just a dead eye shooter when he plays in more space and gets better mm-hmm. looks than he got at Kentucky. And then defensively he's, he's, you know, I don't know that he's the athlete that Porter is, but I don't think it's out of the question either, just because he's so freaking young. And you just look at guys like that, that sprint like he does mm-hmm. and they can chop his feet. Like he does You're like, wait, is there, he hasn't realized something yet. Has he, you know what I mean? Like there's something yeah. else he can get out of his body that he's going to, he's going to figure out when he gets in a, in a, you know, an NBA weight program, um, and strength and agility, you know, every day in the NBA. So I don't know that I'm a little bit more optimistic about Knox mm-hmm. after my most recent film dive than maybe I have been throughout this process. Um, I, I don't think he's the 11th best prospect or, or top 11 in this draft mm-hmm. though at the same time. Yeah. I think long strides moves with decent, uh, uh, fluidity, not, not like fast twitch athlete type, but long strides. Like you said, he, he runs hard and he's got an incredible, uh, wingspan put up great numbers or not great, but decent numbers in transition this year for Kentucky, 61% effective shooting on in transition. Uh, you were able to sub out some of the turnovers and he is a bit, of a was a bit turnover prone, 17% turnover rate this season, according to Ken Palm, 19% turnover rate in in tra- on transition possessions, according to Synergy. But he he really holds the ball out wide, and he's got a nice little um, left to right euro step that can let him sort of slink past some defenders. I think the key with Knox and with some of these other wing prospects, especially guys like Michael Porter. Michael Bridges, Miles Bridges, you can mix Zaire Smith into this too, I suppose. But I think the key for Knox will be, can he hit enough three pointers to become, I don't know if Knox is ever going to be the type of like guy you just throw the ball to and let him go ISO score, but can he become the, the efficient 16 point per game, 17 point per game score by hitting in the upper thirties of his threes. And then he hits enough threes that he forces defenders to close out hard when they're in rotation. Right. And can he do what Jason Tatum did this year for Boston of a pump fake, go around them, get all the way to the rim or, you know, take two dribbles and get your little 17 foot pull up. Can he do that enough? Um, and it starts with him adding a three pointer or, you know, rounding his three point game into form and then developing a little bit of skill off the catch and off the bounce. Yep. Bingo. Uh, because he, I mean, you said it effectively, he's going to be a role player in the NBA. He's, he's mm-hmm. not going to be, he does not project as an all-star. I, I wouldn't say I, I, I yeah. find it. I, I don't know. I, I just don't see that in his, 
in the possibilities for him. So he's got to not knock down open shots. He's a second side offensive kind of guy. Yep. Uh, he's going to play on the weak side pretty consistently. Not going to come off a lot of pin downs and, and floppy action in the NBA. I would not imagine. Um, so he's got to let the offense come to him. And like you said, that starts with knocking down shots. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's an interesting prospect. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I have no feel for where he's going to end up. And he's kind of all over the board and depending on what mock, you know, you look at right now, but I, I would imagine that, you know, when he goes through workouts that he will impress, um, and that the youth is going to play, you know, a huge role, very huge role in, in where he gets drafted, uh, right now, tankathon, which is I'm, I'm looking at has uh, Washington, <clears throat> taking him at 15. So if that was true, he would actually be uh, teammates without a Porter. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think he's a mid mid first round guy. I, I would mm-hmm. be surprised if the Hornets reached at 11, but I certainly wouldn't count it out at this point. Yeah. It, he's one of those guys you can go back. You can, you can, if you pull up, you know, Kentucky games from this season while you're doing your draft prep, did a lot of stuff in Kentucky's offense that looked like actions that they would run for, for Malik Monk. Um, with Knox being more of a featured player. And as Spencer and I were sort of alluding to, that's not really how he projects in, in the NBA, but I like a guy that has the capability to switch out and perhaps guard a lot of positions. And I'm all for finding guys that can make you a little spacier at the, at the four spot. Mm-hmm. And especially if he's got a little bit of shot creation too, where, you know, hard close out slide past the guy and, and create from there. I think that's big because look, we all we all we all respect the hell out of Marvin Williams, and he just had another great three point shooting season from the the four spot. But you know, Marvin's not really the I don't I wouldn't I wouldn't describe Marvin as a closeout beater. Do you know what I mean? I mean he's got a yeah. little bit of a floater game, and twice during this throughout the course of the season, Marvin will blow by somebody and get all the way to the room rim and, and dunk on someone. But that's not really his game, you know. I mean, when no. he when he when he picks and slips or pops or whatever, it, it's there to 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 get up a three or, or keep the ball moving. Um, it'd be nice to have a little bit more of a an added element to that four spot. I mean, I don't think Knox would be would be anywhere close to being ready to deliver that next year. But I like guys that can play the four and have that capability. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, that's a good point. You know, the Hornets need, um, they need some juice at that position. Um, and some switchability, you know, defensively where a guy that's you know going to be able to guard multiple positions and, and kind of hold his own, you know, more so than it can give you. So yeah. And Marvin, like he, he's just not that guy. He's not that guy. He was two seasons ago. It just takes him so long Mm-hmm. to get going, you know, when he's attacking a close, it almost looks like he's trying to get his foot out of mud, you know, but look, <laughs> he, he's, he's lost his burst. I mean, he's an, he's yeah. an older guy now. I mean, he's on yeah. his last leg here. So the Hornets need some youth at that position. Good point. Um, BG. And Frank, and Frank Kaminsky yeah. never had the burst too. So he, we're, you're never going to get the, never the, the did. Cl- be able to attack the close out with, with, from that guy either. Right. And you know, the hope with Frank obviously was that, okay, here's the modern day NBA five that can get stronger, hold his own defensively. And mm-hmm. then obviously just opens up the entire floor on the offensive end, but he never showed he he's going to be able to play five. So I think yeah. Horner's just lost that one. It just yeah. didn't work out. Yeah, it's he is what, what it he is. is. Yeah, exactly. It is um, what it is. <clears throat> yep. Colin Sexton, um, BG, I, he is, you know, I think most considered him to be a pretty safe top 10 pick, um, really maybe even top eight, like throughout the NCAA tournament shortly thereafter. And 
as we go along here, he's, he's dropping pretty consistently. I, I feel like on, and not drastically dropping, but he's dropping outside of the top 10 on quite a few mock drafts. He did not measure real impressively. Um, mm-hmm. at the he's only, he's barely over six, one in mm-hmm. shoes. It's actually kind of shocking to me. You don't look at that guy on a TV screen. Never seen him play in person, but I don't look at him on a TV screen and say, yeah, that guy's six, one. He, he looks like he's like six, four. So I was actually pretty surprised he's that small. Um, obviously, a super strong guard, explosive um, driver, explosive athlete, frankly. Um, and I wouldn't be upset with the Hornets getting him at 11. I think that he's probably the best player available if he falls to that. Mm-hmm. Um, in, definitely in terms of athleticism. You know, he's only 19 and a half years old, so obviously very young. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, play with the ball in his hands a ton at Alabama next year. I don't know how he fits immediately for Charlotte. I don't know that he can play with Kemba. You know, these are all questions that I'm not sure how what the answer to him is, but I think he's the best player available there. I had him mocked to Charlotte in, in my piece that I let out on Queen City Hoops last week. And um, just think in a situation like that, maybe for the Hornets, all right, let's take the, take the best player available. We're not sure what's going to happen with Kemba here next year, uh, next summer. And if he does walk, then like Sexton's a He's the guy of the future, right? Now we have our point guard to take over and move on with. And um, he can be an all-star. I mean, he he has that kind of Mm -hmm. potential. I would say comparison-wise, I like the Eric Bledsoe one. And he's a two-way player. I mean, you know, I I put a lot of value in that. I want guys that can play on both ends, and there's zero question that Sexton's going to be able to do that. He's going to be a great on-ball defender, projects to be at least, um, again, explosive driver, real question for him is will he develop a shot you know Mm -hmm. he develops a shot and he can shoot in the mid 30s or north of that from behind the arc in the nba then you know he becomes a super dynamic player yeah i I was surprised a couple things on sexton i was surprised by the combine measurements both he and zaire smith they just those guys play they look not not only they play they look physically like they're both taller than, than how they measured in, in Chicago the other week. So, you know, there were a lot of, maybe not a lot, but there were certainly seemed to be some Russell Westbrook comparisons with Sexton during, during March. Uh, maybe that had more to do with just the usage rate, which was off the, which was off the charts, but he's not Westbrook. He just, the, he's more Eric Bledsoe. And honestly, when I saw his height and wingspan, it made me think of Jeff T, but he's, uh, he's just, he's more muscular. He's more built, but that that six one with the wingspan at a little you know six seven and change and made it made me think of 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 Teague who was again not as physically imposing leaving Wake Forest but was was a a much better shooter too. Um, I mean the usage rate is was insane this year thirty three percent usage rate a top fifteen number uh, nationally and he had a high usage rate despite the fact that he had a pretty you know not an insane turnover rate only about sixteen percent big part of his game is he draws a ton of fouls, um, 7.6 fouls drawn per 40 minutes. That's number seven in the nation, uh, top 60 free throw attempt rate, 57.5%. He was one of eight division one players to attempt at least 250 free throws this season, drew a shooting foul on 9% of his pick and roll possessions, 13% of his transition possessions and 12% of his ISO possessions. And, he ran a lot of isolation plays too. 14% of his possessions uh, were ISO, which is, which is, you know, again, a lot of pick and roll flat ball screens for this guy, 
or just let him go one-on-one. Um, that was basically Alabama's offense in a nutshell this past year. But yeah, one of 75 players to run at least 180 pick and roll possessions that he used 52% effective shooting on that. Um, almost one point per possession, which is pretty good. Decent pull-up shooter has a nice crossover in and outs. And this is just going to become one of those things that's like a requirement. And I'm sure it's probably at this point taught at every point guard Academy in the world, but he's got that Chris Paul ability to sort of like snake back, mm-hmm. get a, get, get a guy on the hip a little bit. And again, everyone has to learn these moves these days. Um, as the game gets more spread out, more pick and roll oriented and stuff like that. But I think that's something that he could become pretty adept with uh, going into his career. The, the the usage rate is a, I think is a positive and a negative because you know when guy that you just take the ball out of his hands I mean we saw Malik Monk sort of fall by the wayside as he was sort of you know just a, a bench guy and then pushed to become an outcast of the rotation this year in Charlotte and it wasn't really until the last month of the season that he got it going on that concerns me a little bit as does the shooting like I just don't know if this guy. I'm not sure if he, we'll see. Um, but I don't know. So much depends on, can this guy figure out how to shoot a three pointer consistently off the dribble? I, I agree. You know, he reminds me what he's going to have to become better at as a player to be a successful point guard in the NBA. Uh, It reminds me a lot of like what Dennis Smith juniors, you know, (laughs) his maturation is going to have to look like to be Mm -hmm. successful. I, I don't think, they are actually more similar than I think I've ever yeah. heard the comparison, but it's hard to make a comparison because Smith Jr. is still so young, obviously, but um, they're similar in that way. They both have to learn how to shoot. Um, I think your point about, you know, learning the little snake in and out, getting a guy on your hip, just w- different ways to get into the lane, stay there and make a play, you know, if, and what Sexton has, a lot of these guys don't have, is he just has this, it, just this, really mature body, um, and strength that you just don't see many guards, point guards, especially coming out of college with this kind of strength. So you got to imagine if he can continue to find ways to get in the paint, he's, he's going to continue to draw fouls. Right. Yeah. And, and, and yeah. get to the rim. I mean, this guy is just relentless at getting mm-hmm. to the rim. Um, I don't know what kind, I don't have a great feel for, what kind of pick and roll player he's going to be in the NBA. I don't have a great feel for if he's going to be able to do to make reads at a high level. I think he will be at some point. Um, but I think that it's going to take a while. Like you just look at these guys and again, I don't want to like exhaust the Dennis Smith jr. Comparison, but another guy at NC state that just like was always looking for his shot, right. was usage mm-hmm. rate extremely high. He's going to score. He's, Mm-hmm. missing open teammates a lot. Like Sexton did a lot of the same <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And you just wonder with, with a guy like that, like it, does he feel like he has come into the NBA and completely, you know, revolutionized the way that he, he sees the game offensively or can he make tweaks here and there and still be that driver and attacker, you know, and, and still stay in, 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 in mode to score. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I would be super interested to actually like ask a guy like Jay Hernandez or, you know, any of these young player development yeah. coaches, what, what is it? Number one, with these guys come out of college that are high usage, you know, high points per game players to help them slow the game down a little bit and, and mm-hmm. see the floor and read defenses. Like, what does that take? And 
that's the biggest thing for Sexton. So yeah, I would guess a lot of film too. Yeah. Just like yeah. just watching an endless supply of film and then trying to work on applying it. It probably takes, you know, I bet, I bet even outside of these coaches, like these analytic guys that work in analytics for teams could t- tell you like for a player to project that projects to be this good in the NBA, he needs this many reps, you know what I mean? In games and in practice or whatever to hit a, hit this level of pick and roll efficiency or, or whatever too. So no, it's, but even these teams, I mean, it's such an, this, this process is an inexact science, even for the 30 NBA teams that have literally every resource at their disposal. So yeah, to put a bow on Sexton, I mean, I, I like, I like him as a prospect. I think he has a chance to be a really good NBA player. Um, I think a lot is going to depend on fit. Like if he goes mm-hmm. to a team that is pretty much going to hand him the reins and be like, all right, go take 20 shots a night. And <laughs> just, you, you know what I mean? Like that could yeah. be detrimental to, to his progression as a player. But I think Charlotte would be a good place for him. I think it'd be a good fit. I think there are some role players that can help him develop. And I think it's mm-hmm. a good, fresh situation a, t- a franchise that has a plan, right? Like they're not yeah. kind of, well, <laughs> I say that sort of, sort of a plan <laughs> a little bit liberally. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they have sort of a plan they, they have a new direction. I think they're going to really, really prioritize developing players. And I think this could be a good situation for him. Um, yeah. A yeah, C- couple of, couple of things on, on Sexton real quickly too. I, I, I think at this point, let's just, again, let's just say he's available. The Hornets take him at 11 you know, if you if you're trying to look into how he and Malik Monk project as a backcourt down the road, I mean they're both smaller. Maybe that's a little bit of a concern. But again, you should probably just go best player available and just just deal with it and bite the bullet on that and see see what works out. Because at this point, I don't think you can be certain on anything with regards to Malik Monk, even if you can be encouraged with what you saw the last 15, 20 games of the season. Um, my other thought too with Sexton would be before. I feel like we have to mention this It's just maybe it wouldn't impact what the team thinks about doing with Kemba. But if Collins, if Colin Sexton is drafted by this team, I mean, you got to think that has to, at least it, it, it would be a part of the equation no matter what, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would wonder, I don't think it would move. I don't think it would move the needle. Like if you, if you want to trade Kemba or you feel like you need to trade Kemba, then you go do it regardless of, of who you take at 11 um, but it would make that, it, it would make that, that decision a little more interesting. The benefit though, would be if you drafted Sexton and kept Kemba, well then all of a sudden now you don't have to figure out backup point guard, right? There you go. The, this other, this other thing right. that you're going to have to probably sort out in free agency and having very few ways of accomplishing that and feeling good about it. You would, you would, you would at least say, Hey, we don't have that veteran presence off the bench as a point guard, but we don't need to go spend money on that. Like we've, we are already, we're banking on having this rookie salary be a part of the books for us in 2018, 2019. You'd be killing two birds with one stone essentially. And for a team that's operating on a tighter margin mm-hmm. in terms of finances right now, that's that, that I feel like that matters too. I, I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's a great point. Um, and to your point about Sexton and, and Monk and that fit, I, I don't, I actually like that defensive fit. I mean, I think that Sexton has a chance to guard some twos in the NBA. I really yeah. do. And I, and I think he has a chance to hang with some threes. Like, I mean, he, he is don't underestimate how strong this kid is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know he picks one that's a little bit of a, a bummer and, and a surprise maybe mm-hmm. to some, but I, 
you know, Monk's not going to be able to do those things, right? Like, like yeah. you're, you're just begging the basketball gods to just, he can at least guard his position, you know, please yeah. give assists. But Sexton yeah. can be a little bit more versatile mm-hmm. and I think could be a good fit with Monk. Um, okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, we had one more we wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, uh, Michael Bridges. Um, Richie and I focused on Miles quite a bit last week, so we'll have to revisit that. But Michael's been in that eight to ten range. I mean, for what seems like the past two years here <laughs> for this draft. Yeah. Um, I am cooling down. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a really good piece on the Stepien, which is a great NBA draft website if you haven't checked that out yet go check it out the stepian.com about bridges and just about really his some of the things his deficiencies some of the things are going to hurt him and we all know he's going to be a role player right like he's not going to be a guy Mm -hmm. you throw it to um and he just goes get you a bucket i don't think he ever becomes that um but he comes in with an incredible ability to shoot the basketball comes in with the ability to think the game at a really really high level coming from villanova without a doubt the most creative and I mean, they're the warriors of, you know, the NCAA. I mean, this mm-hmm. is how I would yeah. them. And so you, you got a feeling he's going to come in and be able to think the game at a high level, great competitor, but there's some lack of upper body strength question marks here that I think are real mm-hmm. because I think that this, like this player that can switch across four positions defensively, I, th- I think that's gone a little too far. Although I think he's going to be a fine defender. Um, I, I completely agree with that, by the way, but continue. I, I agree with everything you're saying right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, yeah, the defensive thing has just gone a little too far. If you look at his body, he has super long arms, very long legs, and a really a, a little chest torso mm-hmm. um, that I'm not sure. Like, you just look, just look at a picture of Michael Bridges as an athlete. I don't know where you add that much muscle. Mm-hmm to him and his upper body. And and that's really deep into the weeds or whatever, but I, I'm just a little concerned. I, I think he could be a good offensive player, but you know, similar to Kevin Knox, he's going to be a role player. So like when you're comparing those two guys, um, I think it's a lot closer than, mm-hmm. you know, where Michael is being pegged in mocks right now is perennial top 10 guy. I mean, just linked to the Knicks. Every time you blink your eyes, I, I really believe this is a guy that could fall. I think he could yeah. fall to the back end of the lottery, if not out. Um, and another factor that we've all forgotten about, he's going to be 22 years old uh, when mm-hmm. he starts his rookie season next year. He's significantly older than the rest of these guys. So I still like him. Uh, assess, BG. Yeah, because like, this was a redshirt junior year for him at Villanova, which that's not new information. I mean, everyone knows this already. But – I, I as I chimed as I sort of chimed in there a second ago, I don't see him as like a four position defender in the NBA right now, unless the the you know the four guys Marvin Williams, just some guy that even Marvin has a little bit of a post up game and would probably try it against in, in a hypothetical defensive matchup with Michael Bridges, but I, I just don't mean I think ones twos threes twos and threes especially that 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 makes a lot of sense, but. Um, I just don't see him quite as this one through four interchangeable stopper and maybe, maybe stopper. I don't know if anybody was giving him sort of stopper status, but I think that, like you said, I think that's a little overblown. Um, I'll be happy to be proven wrong. And if he manages to be a guy that can guard one through four and shoot 
threes, and he's incredibly valuable. But I just I think that's I'm on more, I'm on more of a wait and see approach as, to, as opposed to thinking that's guaranteed. But offensively, there really is a, a ton to like with this guy. Uh, an incredible spot up player, seventy one percent effective shooting off spot ups. 1.4 points per possession, number eight in Division One, uh, which is insane. 70% effective shooting out of the catch and shoot, uh, 76 of 162, over 1.4 points per possession. The guy has no dead zones on the on the court in terms of shooting. He's great from the corners, which I'm sure NBA teams um, are salivating over. But he's good at the bucket too. 67% shooting around the hoop. And it's got a little bit of a post-up game, although I didn't think um, when I saw him flash it, I really didn't think his post-up game looked all that great. But shot 47% out of the post this year, has a little bit of pick-and-roll juice, but I don't think he'll be that much of a pick-and-roll creator on the next level. But can knows, again, like you said, played in this sort of spread offense, read-react, space the floor, DHOs everywhere, that's the kind of mindset offensively that should transition perfectly um, into the NBA in not, not to backtrack too much here too, but I thought, I think maybe the, the genesis of some of my defensive concerns with Michael go back to the title game against Michigan. Um, I thought, I thought the Wolverines actually gave him some issues on some blow buys um, and he's long, but I just thought, you know, he has a little issue staying in front of guys off the first bounce and, um, but I think it also may help too with this guy with, with Michael Bridges is that he's been a role player for, you know, this year he was a star for Villanova, but in the past he's been a role player. And if this guy is projecting to be a, you know, cog in the NBA and a guy, you need something from next year. Well, I don't think he has like, maybe with Colin Sexton, you have some issue with taking the ball out of his hand a little bit and only playing him 20 minutes a game or whatever. I think this is a guy that is, is ready to step in and be a role player quickly. Um, I think that, that, that spot on a roster makes sense for him even next season where for some of these lottery projected guys, it, it's the fit is clunkier. Agreed. Yep. Um, <clears throat> for the sake of exercise here, I'm going to ask you a question as we kind of wrap these, yeah. um, these three prospects we've talked about. If Knox Sexton, and Michael are all available at 11 and Brian Geisinger is mm. the GM of the Charlotte Hornets. Who are you selecting? Wow. That's tough. Um, I'll take Sexton just cause I think he's the best available, but I do think you can make a case. I, I don't mean to hedge here. Sexton's my pick, but I do think, um, you know, if you're intending to keep Kemba next season, the Michael Bridges makes a lot of sense as a guy that could, uh, could upgrade your shooting on the wing perhaps quickly. What do, what would you do though? I agree. I would take sex and, but I, I don't want to, I don't want to like agree to the point where I'm just saying exactly what you just said. But I mean, mm-hmm. th- those are exactly my thoughts. I mean, I think that fit wise, Michael is, if you're going to run this thing back and like try to mm-hmm. give him the max next summer, then yeah, Michael's a good fit and a guy who can come in and probably contribute right away, hopefully. But I just think Sexton has the higher ceiling. I just think yeah. he's the better prospect here. I agree. Um, I agree. And I think he can. He has a chance to become an all-star. I think so much has to go right for a guy like Michael to become an all-star. Um, whereas Sexton, I, I don't think that's the case. Um, yeah. And it's obviously just you know due to how they're used and their roles and all that stuff. But uh, 
but yeah, no, I mean, and the last thing on Mike, I want to say, I mean, just offensively, you did a great job of, you know, laying out his profile and how dynamic he is and how well he affects the game in all these different ways, you know, on the offensive end. Um, and that is, that is the number one thing that teams are looking at and excites them the most. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, you know, if, if he goes to a team that has, you know, an old school uh, developing offensive scheme, you know, my question is, does it set him back? You know, mm-hmm. um, just coming from Villanova, I, I would like to end up seeing Michael get to the middle of the first round and go to a team that's that's been in the playoffs for the past few years. Has yeah. a good system. I just think that would be a good situation for him. If he goes to a place like New York, I, I worry a little bit. He'd, um, he'd be he'd be interesting in Milwaukee. Don't the Bucks Bucks are drafting sixteen or seventeen? Is it? Uh, I can't um, remember which one. I think it's seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. Seventeen. He would be a real good fit there. He'd be interesting there. Again, we've compared him to Chris Middleton a couple times now on this podcast too. But um, in terms of that guy not having to be the the top defensive stopper, just be one of the long limbed wing guys, plus give them some shooting. He'd be really interesting uh, next to Giannis and. You know, they might need help on the wing, depending on what they do with uh, Jabari Parker this summer, too. So he, he and again, we didn't see much from DJ Wilson this season as a rookie. Uh, who knows, um, you know, if, what how much you can expect out of him next year. So um, Michael Bridges would be a, an awesome fit uh, with the Bucks. I feel. He would, and he would be a good fit with the Clippers too. You know, they're twelve yeah. and thirteen. If they hang yeah. on to these picks, I think that's a, that to me mm-hmm. is probably the most ideal landing spot for him. And realistic, I think. You know, like yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Milwaukee's awesome. I just, I, I don't. He's probably not going to fall to seventeen. Uh, yeah, I would be shocked. Yeah. But down I mean, it. That's, um, it's, that's really yeah. unlikely. Really unlikely. Yeah. Um, all right, good stuff. I, you know, we haven't talked about Michael in a while, which Richie reminded us yeah. before we uh, got on here. So I'm glad we got to <clears throat> chat about him a little bit. Knox, you know, we haven't chatted about a ton either in a while, and we had a few Twitter questions about him. Yeah. So I'm glad we got to discuss Kevin Knox. Um, real quickly before we change up to playoff reactions, BG, let's um, let's talk about Seth. And, uh, just give me like three second round guys that that you find interesting. And I, I am of the belief that the Hornets are going to find a way to, to either move up in the second round or acquire mm-hmm. a few extra picks. But so let's not focus on that number 55, which is where the Hornets yeah. are right now. Let's just focus on guys in the second round that interest us and that can help the Hornets. Um, let's hear three that you have real quickly. I, I, I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean to slide swipe this, but you were just talking about Richie here a second ago. Oh yeah. Richie, could I ask you uh, a hypothetical question if you were the GM of the team here? Sure. Go ahead. Okay. So with the 55th pick in the second round, <laughs> your general manager, are you taking Chris Chioza or are you taking Shake Milton out of SMU? I don't think Shake Milton's going to still be around at 55, right? I'm not saying that. But are you going to go with your heart or with your checkbook? Because we know SMU's got you in their pocket down in Texas. So. Well, yeah, he's Great definitely not making it to 55 after all the promotion that I've given him. So he, if he makes it that far, that's that's on me. But, yeah, I'm definitely taking Chris Chioza at, at 55 if uh, Buzz Peterson lets me. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, now, now that that's settled, um, we can <laughs> go back to the original premise here. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I might just stay local. Um in thinking about this, uh, as you guys know, I'm, I'm a Gary Trent guy um, at Duke and measured pretty good. I think right at six, five at the combine 
39 and a half inch max vertical leap, which was one of the better numbers for, for wings and was probably top 15 or so overall at the combine. Um, I think he has it in him to be a closeout beater, a very good three point shooter and a guy that could defend some twos and threes. And I think he showed something athletically at the combine. I'm also interested in Grayson Allen, not necessarily because of some of his on court antics, which I'm not crazy about, but I like his, he's not super big for, for a wing in the NBA, but I think he has maybe backup point guard potential. I like his three point shot, his ability to shoot off the bounce. And I like his hops, a 40 inch vertical leap at the combine. And he measured in with a decent wingspan too. So I'm very intrigued by both, by both Duke wings. And I don't know if Allen or Trent are, are locks for the first round, sort of, sort of, sort of congested at the back around back of that round, especially at the wing position. So I'll throw out Gary Trent and Grayson Allen. Um, <clears throat> Gary Trent, I was watching some of his stuff last week. Uh, I, I mean, I saw him a lot during the, you know, the Duke season, I think there's a lot there that he, he wasn't able to show at Duke and that's not surprising. Like Duke had a lot of mouths to feed Marvin Bagley was on that team. We all get it, but yeah. he has like some Gary Harris in him. I think because yep. you, like, I honestly think he can become, I think, I think he's a first round pick. If he gets to the second round, I wouldn't be shocked, but I would be disappointed because I think there'd be a lot of teams that would regret that seriously. Yeah. Um, I just watched Gary to your point. He really showed some stuff athletically at the combine, uh, with a great vert max, uh, and standing max. And I don't know, man, I, I think he played with the ball in his hands a little bit. I, I just yeah. do. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's in the realm of possibility that he can become some kind of, uh, Gary Harris type of player. So mm-hmm. I think it's, I think it's interesting. Um, a few names you, you didn't mention. And I think, um, I hope that the Hornets are eventually linked to Javon Carter, uh, point guard out of West Virginia. Had a great combine, great combine yeah, too. Great combine, probably the best competitor in this entire draft. I mean, with mm-hmm. the, with the data and evidence we have right now, I mean this this guy. If you watched any of them in West Virginia, you understand. Uh, likes to pick up eighty five feet. Um, great on ball defender. Uh, works his tail off. Good shooter can obviously run an offense at a high level. I mean, he took some questionable shots at West Virginia, but you know, he had a heavy, heavy workload there. Mm-hmm. I think Hornets could find a way in the second round to put themselves in the position to draft him. It would be great, especially if they did not address point guard with the 11th pick. Yeah. Um, and then God, there's a lot that, you know, I'll actually keep it local with one more guy here who also had a good combine BG. Um, yeah. Trayvon Duvall. Yeah, uh, they did. Built himself, yeah. But, and he answered a lot of questions that look, I didn't think he should have come out. You and I didn't, we, yeah. I don't think we necessarily agreed on that, but he helped himself with the combine. He's some, some mocks still have him late in the second. I, I still think that it's not out of the realm of a possibility that somebody takes a bite at the apple on him and late into the first round. Athletically, he's a freak. He, he measured well. And I just think Duke wasn't a great situation for him. I, I agree that that was sort of what and you got to remember too. this time a year ago, he was thought to be better than both Colin Sexton and Trey young, like Trayvon DeVal was in terms of RSCI was the number five overall recruit and the number one point guard recruit heading into his freshman season at Duke Duke essentially kicked Frank Jackson out the door. I mean, he went pro early knowing that Trey DeVal was, was, was coming to Durham and it just didn't, 
quite work out this year. And especially issues with his jump shot and maybe gambling a little too much defensively. Um, but I thought he did a great job. I said this in the piece that you and I wrote at sports channel eight back in, back in April or March, but just, he, um, he had to be able to, if he was going to go out, he had to be able to sell teams on his athleticism and his upside of, Hey, like we were saying about Michael Porter, where this guy was the number one overall recruit a year ago, that Trayvon Duvall was thought to be almost as good as somebody like that. And he's got to be able to sell the upside in the undervalued talent that he has as a guy that maybe has, um, that maybe has, uh, you know, a little bit of, of top end potential. So I think Deval is interesting as a second round flyer, especially I would also add um, a couple other ACC guys, Bruce Brown, who did not, who's mm-hmm. been falling a little bit. Maybe he, maybe he slides into the second round, which that would be a bummer to see because he's been dealing with health issues. And then one other name from the ACC would be Jerome Robinson. Um, I was actually in Boston this weekend was in a staying in a town just next to chestnut Hill and drove past BC's campus. There's a guy from Raleigh. Um, and he was unbelievable in the ACC this year, big guard that can handle and shoot. I think, um, he's a guy we should maybe talk more about and, um, maybe he still slides in the first round too, but second round, the top 40 pick, he's really interesting. Interesting. That's a good one. Uh, he was awesome at Boston college this year. If you want to see a good highlights of Jerome Robinson, check out their, um, first round game in the ACC tournament against NC state. I think yeah freaking awesome in that game got, got to the rim a ton too yeah. like he he's big, he can get big six five guard that can get to the rim um and was on almost his own plane especially in the acc this year in terms of shooting off the dribble with efficiency and accuracy from distance on a high volume was basically had like markel fultz like numbers do you know what i mean in terms of shooting off the dribble yep. this year really Absolutely. impressive Absolutely. All right. Good stuff. Let's, let's do this as, as we wrap here. Um, Oh, Oh, Twitter question, Richie, remind me that there was one. I don't think we covered yet. Correct. Yeah. One more Twitter question um, from Patrick Connor seven. If you guys are making a wager on Kimba staying here and getting the max or not staying here, where are you putting your money at? So let's do, um, PG is still like a one to 10, you know, confidence scale thing here. Gotcha. Staying and trying to convince cool. him to take the max. That it's it's so hard. I just I th- every time I think I have a feel for the situation, I I don't. Um, I would say right now, and I feel like this changes every episode. <laughs> we <have> this <laughs> question ourselves every episode, and I'm like talking back and forth. But I I think I would be at like a six and a half right now that the Hornets yeah. do try to hang on to him and try to convince him to take it that five year max. Yeah, I would think I would probably go just below you, somewhere in that five to six range. The fact that it didn't happen at the deadline or prior to the deadline this season, and now we're into the offseason, he's effectively an expiring contract, makes it seem a little more likely that they're going to hang on to him. And uh, But we'll see. That could change really quickly leading up to the draft. But uh, I'm with you. I'd say you know better than 50% chance, but not by much. So one thing I want to mention is just something to watch for Hornets fans going into next season with Kemba on the last year of his deal. You know, he's in the prime of his career is it a positive? Would it be a positive or a negative if Kemba had an awesome year, best year of his career, which I think is absolutely within the realm of possibility here and makes an all NBA team and now is eligible 
for the designated player extension that's over $200 million. Is that actually, because then now you're like, oh, okay, yeah, he's probably going to stay. This is great. Like that's the positive. The negative is you're handing out a five-year deal over $200 million to a guy that'll be uh, what? 35 at yeah. the end of that. I don't even know how to look at that. Like, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I, I hate to say it. I it, Cause it would be awesome to watch Kemba in the prime of his career have, have an all NBA season. It would be, if, if it was in Charlotte, it would bring great attention to the team in the city theoretically. Although I guess maybe that didn't quite happen without Jefferson uh, back in 2014. But man, these $200 million contracts you're signing to guards to that are going to carry them into their mid thirties this extension last year, Westbrook agreed to this extension last year. I don't even know for those guys. Cause they're going to be making 40, whatever million dollars a season when they're 33, 34 years old and are, you know, fingers crossed at best, you know, 85% of what they are now. They might, it might even be way lower than that. Like Westbrook might dip a ton between now right. and when he's 34 years old. Um, yeah. so no, I don't, uh, that just sounds like a, um, it would be, I would pull for Kemba. I would love to see him make all NBA, but boy, it would create an absolute headache um, for that to happen. Yeah. It's, I, I just kind of thought of that the other day. I was like, Oh, that'd be cool. You know, because then the Hornets could yeah. keep him. But then I'm like, wait a minute, 200, like to that guy, like if Russell Westbrook isn't tradable on that contract, yeah. Kemba Walker, damn sure ain't tradable. Yeah, so, exactly. So one, a good point. One other thing sidebar on that too. The fact that Kemba didn't get a single all NBA vote this year, like I know there's a lot of good guards, man. You don't I watched I pay attention to the whole league. I know Agree. It's bullshit. We're loaded yep. we're loaded at guards. It's a joke. Yeah. It is an absolute joke that that guy didn't get a single vote for all NBA. I know the back end of those b- ballots are, you know, they Dwight Howard got a vote, Trevor Ariza got a vote. Like it it's sort of a joke and I, it's probably dumb to get upset about it. But this guy is so good. Like he's so good. It, it, there's really the he's so close to being as productive as Damian Lillard or right. Like, like 95% of Kyrie or whatever, like, or he is, you know, he is that already. He's just in a bad situation. Um, just in terms of what the on off splits are with him and in terms of how he carries this offense and how he, the way in which he carries it, which is just insane pick and roll usage, step back threes. I, I just, like yeah. the voters, the voters got to be smarter than this, man. Like it's, it's a joke. It's, 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 it's short, embarrassing. Yeah. It's just short of a travesty. You know, that would be hyperbolic to say that, but it's, it's an absolute joke that he didn't get a single all NBA vote. Not one. Well, and to, to, yeah, tie it all up here. I, one of the questions I have to have the answer to before I die is who voted for Dwight Howard. Dwight, we'll I, find I have out. to know that I have to know. We'll find out. I think those official ballots get released in June. And I okay. got, I got like, I need to know too. Like I got to know like you, that guy's immediate or girl is immediately blacklisted for me. Yeah, like you're done. Exactly. Flush. Yeah. I, I can't, can't do it. I'm going to laugh when it turns out to randomly, it's going to be like some guy that I, it's going to be sad when it's like, Oh, Kevin Pelton voted for him. What? No, there, like there's some secret sauce it's, stat. That's a matter. I don't care how much of respect yeah. I had for you. It's, it's gone. If I thought yeah. you, you voted for Dwight Howard. It's gone. Uh, when we get closer to those ballots being revealed, we need to set like an over under age limit for the hypothetical Dwight. Was the male or female who voted for Dwight like over under age? We'll start it at like fifty nine and a half. You know, 
know what I mean? Like how, who still values the basketball player, exactly. Dwight Howard? Um, <laughs> does this person qualify for the AARP? Um, so anyways, um, all right. Yeah, no, that's, that's good stuff. All right, Brian, let's do this to wrap. Cause I know we've run longer than we said we were <laughs> shocker to that, that quote is in almost every episode. I bet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it is. It is. Well, I mean, yeah, sorry for being repetitive, but it is true. You know, it's like every single, we'll, we'll go an hour today. Let's just try to keep this one an hour, an hour, 15 minutes later. Anyways, um, it means we have a good time with it. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. All right, BG, uh, three minutes, LeBron James, go. Man, he was unbelievable. Like once again, I'm not surprised at all. I, I thought he was going to take this team to the, the finals. And even after they dropped game five, I wouldn't count them out, but to do what he's doing, which is playing, I mean, he plays 46 minutes in game six, two days later plays 48 minutes in game seven wins on the road against the team that's built of guys to, to stop him. Just all these strong, long arms, switchy forwards and wings. And it's not just that he's playing these crazy minutes. It's the usage in which he's playing, you know, he knows for this team to win, he's got to be able to play 45 plus minutes. He's got to be able to use at least 40% of the possessions. Got to have an assist rate of like 30 plus percent, probably even closer to 40%. He's got to touch the ball a hundred plus times, probably closer to 110 times. And he's got to throw 50 to 60 passes while making sure he only turns the ball over like three or fewer times. Um, And he's able to do it. We expect him to do it every single time. It's ridiculous. And we just, I mean, he's unstoppable and there's no one quite like him in terms of creating, especially half court offense. I mean, he, he gets out on the break and he's a freight train and he throws long passes for assists or he's on the receiving end of long passes from Kevin love. But what he does in the half court in terms of his size and his ability to play at the rim and get the matchup he wants every single time or damn near every single time. It's just unlike anything I've ever seen before. Like, I don't remember MJ. Kobe didn't do it to this level. And it's scary and fun to watch at the same time. And to be able to do it again and again in the hothouse of the playoffs is just so unbelievably impressive. And to do it at year 15 is nothing short of what seems to be a miracle. Yeah, I mean, pretty much everything you just said. I mean, there's never been an athlete like him, as powerful of an athlete, which is with as much grace and understanding of the game and just extremely high basketball IQ. There's just never been an athlete built like him. He's unstoppable. Um, I don't enjoy watching the Cavs play offense, you know, in this and what they have to do to win. But when you do the same thing over and over and over and over again, and just nobody can stop it. Yeah, I mean, it, it is. It is defining everything that so many people thought they knew about basketball and understood basketball. And he's just there is no answer for LeBron. Um, and as much as I was not pulling for the Cavs last night, <laughs> but um, what you know, watching that game, I, I was in awe. And, and I'll say this too: like as good as a player as he is, and explosive and powerful, and the grit, just all of it. I mean, as, as well as he does everything, his presence just like freaks guys out like Boston. Mm -hmm. There's no way to describe a lot of things LeBron does, but more so than anything else, 
Like he just cast a spell on those guys last night. Like yeah. offensively, Boston stopped moving the ball. Like LeBron wasn't even that good to be completely mm-hmm. honest. He wasn't even that great offensively, but the fact that they were able to stay in that game defensively, they grind Boston second chances and nobody wanted the basketball other than Jadam Tatum, Jason, excuse me, Jason Tatum, mm-hmm. the Celtics last night. And you could just see they froze that you, you always knew that if, if Cleveland was within striking distance at the end of that game last night in game seven, that maybe these guys for Boston, <coughs> Terry Rozier, this Oof. moment, yeah, LeBron, like it, it was just, it, that game was kind of just like a staring contest to, to be complete, like to just use literally, I mean, literally, it's like, literally. you're not going to beat me. Like, how do you play But the way that Boston has played this whole series? Like, I just, there's no way to describe how bad they were last night. And you can try to tell, you can tell me the answer is Cleveland's defense, but that's not true. It's just not, they're not that good of a defensive team, but the presence of LeBron James, the intimidation factor of LeBron James, that just the mental fatigue that you have and the mental block that you have as a competitor to know, I just, I can't get past this guy. Can you imagine yeah. where Al Horford is mentally today? No, I, it would be, I, <laughs> I mean, somewhere like on the spectrum from, you know, the Celtics to Toronto, like where Horford ranked. I mean, the city of Toronto is sort of their own other, like the Raptor franchise. That's it's, it's like its own other, own other conversation. But like, I mean, Horford, this just happens to him every year, four straight years now. It's four straight for all, all. He's been on awesome, exclusively awesome teams too. And he just yeah. keeps getting bounced. It's unbelievable uh, watching history. Um, I, you know, I don't expect to ever see a player like this in my lifetime. Um, you know, again, so, you know, whether you like LeBron or, or not, or, or I should say whether you pull for him or not, you know, I would cherish this man. Cause this is just ridiculous. What's should, happening. Should also mention too, like last night, this is what Le- LeBron needed. Jeff green to play 42 minutes and be second on the team in scoring and usage rate. Amongst guys that played more than ten minutes, also like, super super random good performance from Jeff Green. Just yeah. random. I mean, out of no. I mean, just out of nowhere. And yeah. <laughs> what what cracks me up? Uh, I was saying this to someone a few weeks ago. Is like Jeff Green. We've spent the last decade plus trying to figure out a role for this guy in the NBA. I mean, teams have given him money and traded first round picks for him. Cough, Doc Rivers, cough. The the Orlando Magic paid him fifteen million dollars for literally no reason last season, but we finally figured out after like eleven or twelve years how Jeff Green is properly used, and it's on a minimum contract next to LeBron. Like there you go. I found the way that you actually extract value out of Jeff Green is to put him next to the best player ever and on a minimum contract. And then if that happens, then Jeff Green can be a like replacement level NBA player. It, would, it took us yeah. 12 years, but finally here we are. Yeah. And Boston was, uh, they were not guarding him. They were leaving him in the corner. They were helping out LeBron and a few things. Number one, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that? I mean, sure. I think that's the right thing to do, <laughs> but more importantly, like, for LeBron to just, he knew he needed him and he just kept throwing him the ball mm-hmm. and Jeff Green came through. I mean, it's, it's pretty cool. Actually, it's a cool story, but anyways, all right, we gotta go. That was uh that was good stuff. Um, but actually last thing, I swear this is the last thing, Richie, I'm sorry. BG tonight prediction. People will hear this Monday. So we'll actually know. Oh, I got God. Golden State. What do you think? Yeah, I got, I mean, I had Golden State in six before the series started. It looked like Houston made it really, really interesting, but I mean, 
especially, I mean, if Chris Paul doesn't play, it's obviously over, but even if he is playing, um, I, I mean, I think the, the easy money is to bet golden state, unfortunately, cause it, I'd love to see CP three versus LeBron in the finals, but I don't think we're going to see it. I got golden state tonight on the road. Yeah, I agree with you. All right. Good stuff. Enjoy the game tonight, everybody. We appreciate you listening as always, um, for myself, that's Brian guy singer. That's Richie Randall. Uh, this was episode 65 of Buzzbeat Radio. Don't forget, we are a proud member of the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, home at queencityhoops.com. Check that out. And then also our good friends over at Sports Channel 8. Always willing to give them a big shout out. Go check them out. SportsChannel8.com at SportsChannel8 on Twitter. All right. Till next time. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.